Hey guys, welcome to Clark Talks, the Colombian's podcast where we bring you the stories and views behind the news. I'm Katie Gillespie. And I'm Damien Pizzanti. So we are talking politics today, yes? We are. That's become a fairly occurring theme in our podcast. I think it's because we're kind of wonky. So yeah. I think you and I are wonky. I think totally. it's a reflection of our nerdiness. Totally. You know, in it, I was thinking about our podcast in aggregate the other day, and I feel like it is very much like a reflection of newspaper coverage in general. Yeah. Because, you know, like you open up a newspaper, there's a politics side, there's like the fluffy little like feature side. Yeah. And then there's just like just kind of general purpose interesting stuff. Yep. I feel like our podcast episodes are a lot like yeah. that. Yeah. That oh. is true. Today is the news side of things, though. Yeah. So, so we are talking state politics. We brought you guys real local politics. We've yep. talked national politics. Now we're going to yeah somewhere in the middle so i'm sure you guys probably saw but the legislature is back in action and the uh at at the 11th hour the bell is tolling that the legislature has to figure out how they are going to fund basic education so who is that we sat down with so we sit down with victoria bradford who is the president of the uh evergreen school district board of directors she gives a great overview of mccleary why it's important the mccleary decision uh supreme court decision that is requiring the state legislator to fully fund higher education before the uh, end of the session uh, or by the end of the session she's going to give a really you know if you know everything there is to know about mccleary it's a good refresher course if you don't it's a good sort of foundational foundational class in what mccleary is and why you should care so right and actually before we do that we're going to sit down with uh state politics and actually city politics super reporter Lauren Dake to uh, give get a lowdown from her on what we can expect from the legislature this year and how our new uh, the new makeup of our local delegation may or may not influence the future of uh, how things shake out for us down here in southwest Washington. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, Lauren had a really great story in Sunday's last Sunday's paper, uh, just giving an overview of the session, what to expect, what's next. Um, she does that every year. but So that'll give you a little bit, you know, check out Columbian.com, tra- track down that story. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that'll also give you some more context beyond what we discussed today as well. So And then last but not least, if you guys have been tuning in, uh, this is the final chapter in the homebrew beer saga yeah my beer's done uh we cracked open a couple of them last night Mm -hmm. and we'll tell you how it went yeah i'm gonna say anything now you gotta wait till the very end yes no we won't spoil it for you all right guys stay tuned Okay, so now we are sitting down to uh, talk some state politics with the, uh, I guess, the state politics and also city politics reporter, Lauren Dake. Am I saying your last name right? Yes, you are. Okay, it's not (laughs) Dake or anything like that. (laughs) No. No. Unless you, no, that sounds a lot fancier. It does. It does. It sounds European. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then I'll start calling you a correspondent rather than a reporter. Yeah. This is good. West Coast political correspondent Lauren Dake. Yes, that's <laughs> perfect. But anyway, so uh, we were hoping you could help us give the listeners a little bit of a rundown of um, what the our local delegation wants to get done and what they're talking about for this upcoming session and what are the big big ticket items still sitting on the plate for um, for the legislature this year. So this session, as you guys already know, because you talked to Victoria Bradford, it sounds like it's going to be dominated by education funding. And that's something that um, two of our local delegation, two of our local Republicans will play a large part in. Senator Ann Rivers is 
um, on the education on the Senate Education Committee, and Paul Harris is on the same in the House. Um, so the two of them will be really involved in trying to figure out the McCleary case. The big, like I said, the biggest issue facing the legislature this session is figuring out how to fully fund the state's public education system. In 2012, the court ruled in the McCleary case that um, Washington was not meeting its constitutional duty to adequately fund the state's public schools. This, they've been you know, tackling this every session, and actually, I mean, really, it's been an ongoing problem for decades. This session, they are under a court order deadline to actually come up with a solution. So this is a really crucial session in the Washington State Legislature. Are we seeing any legitimate proposals at this point or nothing? <laughs> That's a good question. So on Monday, which was the first day of the session yesterday, um, they kicked off their 105 days of the 2017 session. Most people do not think it's going to last 105 days. It's going to go into several overtime sessions. Yeah, because this is a budget year, this right? This is a budget so. year. And, and Didn't we go over last year as well, or did we finish right on the wire? overtime sessions last that's year what as well. I thought. right I think um, it went until the end of June yeah, yeah. that's right um, so what do you out oh, proposals so they started off um, this this legislative task force bipartisan bicameral legislative task force has been meeting all through the interim and on Monday they were supposed to uh, unveil a couple of proposals, vote on the proposals, sort of uh, talking, you know, some talking points, get the discussion going, here's some concrete numbers, here's what we think we need to get this going. Democrats put out their proposal, which was um, 1.6 billion, I believe, for the next two years, and more than 7 billion through 2021. Republicans did not come up with specific numbers, they came out with um, something they called the guiding principles. Anyway, basically, on the first day of the legislation set, legislative session, this task force was set to unveil these proposals, and they deadlocked. So day number one, Shocking. here we go. Here we go. <laughs> the McCleary decision has been, um, I mean, since that Supreme Court ruling came down, this has really been, I think, such a defining thing every year that the legislature is convened but it, i mean it seems like this year more than ever like this is what it really comes down to i mean tell me if you can hypothetically speaking what if they don't figure it out this year as well i mean what happens then do we even know i think um it's a good question because i'm not sure that everybody is convinced well, I know that Republicans aren't really as persuaded by the Supreme Court's ruling as maybe some of the Democrats. I've so, heard a lot of Republicans, in fact, say that they think that the Supreme Court way overstepped itself. Exactly. And so their their feeling is, let's introduce something. Let's solve, you know, we need, to, we need to fully fund education, yes. But we need to do that on our own terms. And we need to do that in a way that we believe co meets the constitutional requirements, not what the court believes. So... Um, and I you think know. we saw that from like Senator Michael Baumgartner from Spokane this year, who introduced his little his right. little pre bill to to take it out of the Supreme Court's hands, right? Right. To ma basically make it um, to amend the Constitution so that it's not part of the Constitution to have to fully fund education, which, which of will course not is, gain any momentum. No, because yeah. that's a huge project. <laughs> what do um, Ann Rivers and Paul Harris, I mean, what have they been talking about as as potential solutions? So Aunt, Senator Rivers has been involved with this a little bit longer than Paul Harris. He's a newer member on the Education Committee. And she just, she talks a lot about, um, it's becoming one of those things that I think we're going to hear a lot this session. 
finding the size of the box, determining the size of the box, which means... Which means she picked her talking points. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it means, you know, how big, how much money do we actually need? She's still kind of on this point of how much money do we actually need to fully fund the state's public schools? What does that look like? Which is what this task force was supposed to accomplish already. But um, yeah, so did, were she, they meeting over the over the fall and the early part of winter here? I yeah. mean, was that the idea? Summer, summer, fall, winter. They've uh-huh. been meeting for yeah months. Uh-huh. But she remains very optimistic. She said on Monday that. Um, She's confident that they're going to get there this session. P- Paul Harris said during the education task force, he's also, well, actually he told me that he's also confident that they're going to get there, but then said during the task force hearing that he's reticent to um, put a proposal out there right now because he's not sure that the numbers that they're basing it on are accurate. And he's worried that if they put something out, then the Supreme Court is going to hold them to that. And then if they try and, you know, if they get more revenue than they anticipated or they try and sort of scale down the number, then they'll be back in hot water with court. Basically, it's just going to be legislative ping pong this entire session. I mean, you know, we're going to see proposals from different chambers and different members, and there's going to be more more discussion and, and whether they can get there. I don't know. You had, oh, sorry. Do you want to go ahead? You had a story uh, that came out last Sunday. Last Sunday? Is that when it came out? Your legislative preview? You had a story that came out last Sunday um, previewing this, among other uh, big things um, that the legislator will be tackling this year. What are some other issues to watch out for, apart from McCleary? Yeah, I think our local Southwest Washington delegation is working on a lot of just kind of, you know, more some personal priorities that are kind of interesting. Um, Paul Harris, he's very determined to raise the smoking age to 21 something that he pushed last session, was unable to do, and wants to do it again this session. Um, Senator Ann Rivers is determined to curb distracted driving, and she wants to make it harder for people to you know, be Snapchatting while they're driving and, mm. and add some requirements there. That proposal made quite a bit of headlines when that was first announced. Yeah, it was, she's been working on it for several sessions. So it's also been another one of those that's been kind of around for a while, and um, She's just been unable to get the votes. Senator Don Benton was a big person who opposed that last session, and he clearly is no longer in the Senate, too, so Mm -hmm. that might help her a little bit. Representative Wiley, she's going to be a ranking member on the House Transportation Committee, so she has long been a proponent of trying to get something done with the Interstate 5 bridge, so we might see something there. Senator Cleveland wants to tackle affordable housing and, and give tenants longer notice before being evicted. So a lot of them have, you know, their own personal priorities that they'll be working with in tandem with the overall overarching themes of McCleary, mental health funding, and um, some of those other big ticket items. I almost forgot about mental health funding. I mean, that is still another issue. Didn't the Supreme Court also come down on the legislature for not funding that properly? Yeah, they did. And that will be another another big talking point this session. Governor Jay Inslee has proposed $4.4 billion in tax increases. Um, this session, which will are meant to go toward, um, you know, mental health funding, education, and a handful of other items. But mm-hmm. you know what they say in the legislature is the governor proposes, the legislature disposes. Mm-hmm. So we we likely mm-hmm. won't see a lot of those. Well, he made a lot of similar tax proposals uh, last year's or the, during the last session as well, if I remember right. And I don't think any one of them actually made it. Right. And they're so. very similar this session. Mm-hmm. He, when he was asked that question numerous times, he said, you know, this session's different because um, 
we're, you know, we're up against a wall this time. We have no choice. Mm-hmm. He likened it to climbing Everest and they've, they've already, you know, made the easy trek and now they're, they need to strap on the oxygen and go mm. the last thousand feet. Another interesting thing with the Southwest Washington delegation this year is for the first time in a long time, they seem to be determined to work as a cohesive unit, which, um, and that doesn't mean that they're all going to agree to with each other because, you know, we have mainly Republicans and a couple of Democrats and their policy views are very different. But for the, the first time, they have agreed to start meeting on a regular basis. And in years, sessions past, they've really, they've really been unable to deliver for the region because of, in large part, due to personality conflicts and not trusting each other, not working together and communicating on, hey, this is a regional priority. Let's all get on the same page and start lobbying and getting getting this bill passed. So that could be really great for the region this session. Do you think in part that's due to the couple of new individuals that we have in the in the the delegation? I certainly think that's gonna help. Senator Don Bitten and Senator Ann Rivers, as we all know, um, had several public spats and did not get along for a long time. And they were both powerful members in the Senate. So having Bitten gone and replaced by Representative well, now Senator Linda Wilson, I think that um, that helps shift the dynamic quite a bit. Well, and, and Representative Wilson, I mean, she's already got a track record of generally playing pretty well with the rest of the delegation, right, as a representative. So Yeah, she strikes me as somebody who, um, although, you know, is very feels very strongly about her policy and her viewpoints and is not going to change those, is willing to listen to everybody and isn't really going to get into a battle if she doesn't agree with you. She's just going to say, I don't agree with you and, and we can move on and maybe all act like adults here. It's interesting because that's kind of the same thing at the County as well. These similar types of political makeups that are changing, hopefully to hopefully for the betterment of, of their ability to get things done. So all right. Thanks a lot, Lauren. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we are sitting down with Victoria Bradford, who is the president of the Evergreen Public Schools Board of Directors. Thanks for coming out here on a kind of a snotty day, Victoria. That's okay. I'm ready to, to talk about fun things and education. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about the McCleary decision today, which legislators are running up a deadline this year um, after the state Supreme Court ruled, uh, was it four years ago now? It was January 5th of 2012. Okay, so about five, so five years. Yep. Yeah, that the, the uh, state had to determine how to fully fund basic education by the end of the 2017 session um, or else basically. Um, Mm -hmm. And we're already seeing some of the four else happening as the Supreme Court is fining the legislator, what is it, $100,000 per day that they fail to... Since they're in contempt of court right now. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah. So tell us a little bit about um, what the McCleary decision did, you know, from the perspective of a local school board and perspective of a local district, what the McCleary decision means um, and what it requires the legislator do to provide for, for school districts. Okay. Um, It's a complicated situation, but I'm going to try and keep it as simplistic as I can um, because it is huge. Um, Our Constitution says that it's the paramount duty of the state of Washington to amply fund basic education. And the legislature has defined basic education. And so as part of the McCleary decision, 
um, the legislature was found to not be meeting one the constitutional um, obligation that and just to be real clear is the state con the Washington state constitution exactly Um, and so they've been found not to be in compliance with that Um, they've also been um, charged with the fact that we're also supposed to have an equitable education throughout this throughout the state and due to the reliance on local levy money and depending on what district you're in you may have access to lots of levy money and others you may not um, that can really create a huge inequity throughout the state so they were found to not be meeting their obligation and this has been kind of rolling along since 2012 with with this with the legislators not really making the kind of progress that the Supreme Court would like them to make. So thus the, the penalties that they're receiving right now for $100,000 a day for being in contempt of court. So this year, they're hitting the deadline. And they don't know what to do. I mean, they really, at this point, don't seem to have a plan of action. They keep having task force and all kinds of committees. But there's not anyone talking about a solid plan to meet their obligation. So it's very disconcerting to school districts. Definitely. Um, and what, so what is basic ed defined as? What must the, the state provide for in our schools to be meeting that requirement? So they're going to be, we should be receiving funding to run our schools, um, pay for our staff and our teach, you know, especially our teachers, um, turn the lights on, um, have the kinds of services that our students need. And the basic ed formula that we receive right now does not include the full funding of our educators. It's not including the full funding to meet the mandates for um, class size that the state mandates. It's There's issues surrounding um, the construction or having enough classroom space to meet those mandates. It does not cover technology right now, which we're in a very technological world, and our students need that to be um, good citizens and workers in our communities. So it's all the things that it re- that it requires to have a good educational system for our students. As I've been thinking a lot about the McCleary decision, and we had this conversation a little bit Uh, just a couple minutes ago off the microphones uh, where we were talking about just like how different uh, school districts can get a can get very different sums of money off of their levies just based on what kind of industries and like the incomes of the um, their constituents are and I imagine even within just like a city like Vancouver that there's probably a big variation here with like how much say Evergreen can get versus maybe even like the Vancouver School District or Mm -hmm. I think you even mentioned Camas can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So every um, district has um, the valuations of the homes in their community plus the industry and, and what that tax base is. And so when you have a district like Evergreen where we're more bedroom, I would say community with more housing than industry um, versus the Seattle, which has loads of industry and big industry, you can see quite a difference. So Um, In the Evergreen School District, our price levy rate per thousand in a home is $351, but you go up to Seattle and it's $1.20. So what that that means is the 
the amount that we would receive per student varies dramatically. So in our district, we're, we would be receiving $2,407.73 per student based on our levy rate, where Seattle would receive $3,840.99. Mm-hmm. So it's it's significantly diff- different. And so when you have that, um, you have inequities across the district as to how much money one you know one levy rate can generate it's it's amazing so even though the cost to taxpayers per thousand is significantly lower in seattle the the amount of money that each student benefits from is significantly higher exactly exactly and that's the part that's part of the mccleary decision talks to those inequities is when you're looking at what it costs to fund um, a quality program in our schools Seattle has a much easier time um, raising that kind of extra money that the state isn't paying for. Um, You know, levies were originally designed to bring extras to the table. If you wanted to have extra after-school activities or extra types of programs like music and, and the arts and things like that, that's what that money originally was for. But now it has become a significant part of how we fund basic education. I'm I'm going into the like the back cobwebbed dusty corners of my <laughs> mind to try to remember this right now. But hasn't Washington State been here once before? I feel like wasn't yes. there like there was a case in this or there was something that happened in the 1970s. Was it a case as well where the state sat down and they were like, all right, we were going to seriously adequately fund education yes. and nothing came of it. Yes, and it kind of helped a smidge. And I, if I remember right. Because, of course, I'm not old enough to remember that. I was still in school then. <laughs> but um, it's been that far. <laughs> it's been that long ago. They um, That was Seattle that challenged the state on it at that time. And some things kind of happened. But the, the legislature did not keep up with it. And it hasn't evolved with the times. And it's just... Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's just not worked. So what do you think might be some of the misconceptions out there um, that the public or even some people in the legislature might be holding that what might they be assuming that school districts want or want to do with this money that might not be true? Well, I, I always think it's interesting how people think we're top heavy in administration. And if you were to, and it's on our website, if you go um, and look at most districts' websites, the amount that's sent, spent on central administration is actually quite low. In our district, it's under 5%. And as a business owner, I can tell you that is really low. Um, there's not a bunch of money being thrown around for fat cat salaries that people would like to think. Um, Those Rolls Royce driving uh, superintendents out there. Exactly. Not in our district. Um, And so I think there's a misconception about that, that money isn't being spent the way it should. Um, But if, if people were to really take a look at our budget and take a look at the percentage of money spent and where it goes, the vast majority of it is in our classrooms where it belongs um, and programs for kids so um, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions Mm. I think um, one of the things that is a double-edged sword in all of this is with the legislature they seem to worry if we're going to give money to teachers in teacher salaries and it is a challenge because districts 
get pitted against each other when we go into negotiations because the districts that have more money to spend can offer higher salaries and districts that don't especially small districts really suffer because they can't afford to do that I mean, it's like any other business. If you've got more money to, to pay qualified teachers, I mean, teachers are going to go where they're going to mm-hmm. get better benefits and a higher paycheck mm-hmm, if, mm-hmm. They, if they can. Right. So the legislature gets really worried about us just giving the money away to the teachers. But they don't seem to understand that part of that is what we should be doing is compensating our teachers the way they need to be compensated to do the job it's an it's a hard job um you know school is not the same what we experienced you know everybody thinks they're an expert on education because they went to school because they once were a kid yeah Yeah. (laughs) i've heard that but what we deal with now and i had a little um little thing going on online on one of your articles with somebody who was talking about this very thing and and you know I was kind of gave them the breakdown of where the money goes and I said we also are dealing with a more challenging student population in our district is this the homework story by chance or no no? it it was another story I can't even remember now but it was just there was just this blatant belief that we're wasting money and things need to go back to the old way of doing things well we can't do that we're educating students for jobs that don't even exist yet we can't go back the old way we have to keep moving our students into um, a more futuristic life because it is different um but our just since i've been on the board which is way too long i probably um but we've doubled our free and reduced lunch rates so we have twice as many kids in poverty than we had you know, 15 years ago. Um, and, om- and it's almost half of the kids in our district. We have to deal with those sur- other peripheral issues that our kids need in order to be successful in school. We have more kids that speak English as a second language. The other key issue is we have more kids that are homeless, and you've done a good job of covering that, and kids in trauma. We have a lot of kids suffering from either coming from families of mental illness or suffering from mental illness themselves, um, other traumatic kinds of situations. And when you have kids with all of these types of issues, that means our staffing has to look different, the kind of professionals that we bring in. I mean, when I first started with the district, we didn't have school psychologists in all the schools. I mean, we need them. These kids need them. You know, we didn't have family resource centers to help, you know, our families that don't have food. Now we have them in all of our Title I schools. So mm-hmm. those are things that get paid for either out of title money or out of our levy money. It's, it's a challenge. So maybe if you could help our listeners understand that, let's say hypothetically, the in a perfect world, which this definitely is not, but in a perfect world, the legislature hammers out a solution to adequately fund basic education. Um, and they say, all right, districts, you've got the cash you need. Uh, go forth and do what you will do. Mm-hmm. What would the districts do in that case? Like what would happen with, would local levies go away? Would local levies decrease? Would they stay the same? And school districts would use that money for what, like you described earlier, as it was originally intended to fund all these extracurricular programs. What might a district do in that case? Like, are you guys making plans for the day, if it ever should come, the day when f- this funding is there? 
well, I wouldn't say we're making plans because it seems like such a, um, uh, it, it doesn't feel real like they're going to actually do it because they keep figuring out ways not to. But yes, we, we think a lot about freeing up money that we're using now for basic ed. What could we do? And it's, I would say the majority of that money, one, we wouldn't have to ask for the amount of money from our taxpayers, which would be nice because we're very cognizant of what the burden is, the, the tax burden is on our on our patrons. But I would say it wouldn't look like a lot of frivolous things. I For our community, and of course this would look different in every district, and that's why I believe local control is important, um, but it would be to provide supports for kids after-school programs that keep kids engaged in school, um, making sure all of our kids don't go home hungry and that they, you know, now we're, we're doing some things after school so kids get that extra meal. Um, expanding some of our, you know, arts programs or some of our career and technical education programs, making sure our classrooms have the kind of technology that they need to have to help our children be successful. There's just... There's a huge laundry list of things we could do. And even within our district, it would look different from school to school because the needs are different. Um, but it's to have that flexibility to do the right thing for students where they need it. Mm-hmm. So the thing that you mentioned earlier about the teacher salaries, mm-hmm. um, and that that is a, that is a f- concern, you could even call it a fear, that I have heard brought up by a few p- different people in the legislature. Um, is there any truth to that? Like, would any of this money go to increasing teacher salaries? Well, our position... And, and I, is that a bad thing? Well, it, it depends on how it's done. You know, one of the things that we talk about a lot um, and have, this has become even more apparent as time has gone on, is that Teachers' compensation does need to be equitable across the state and needs to be reliable. Um, It shouldn't be based on your community's ability to afford it because that, again, creates an inequitable situation for school districts. Um, You know, we've talked a lot about maybe it's better if the legislature has a set schedule that's and negotiates salary and and benefits you know, such as their insurance, you know, life in, or um, medical insurance and things of that nature. They do that at the state at the state level ra- rather than each individual district having to work that out and pitting districts against each other. Because, you know, we gave a very lucrative package. We believe it's the best one in southwest Washington. But I got to tell you, smaller districts, this this is going to be hard for them because they're their folks are going to want that same package, but they may not, they probably won't be able to afford to do it. And it's nip and tuck for us. Mm-hmm. So um, having that at the state level and, and having this, the legislature set those parameters, also set the parameters around what can and can't be bargained for so that we're not in a random situation district by district. I mean, isn't there something to be said, though? that, uh, I mean, the cost of living across the state varies substantially. So, yeah, I I totally hear what you're saying in that it's uh, really, it's an unfortunate thing to have to make districts, like, sort of get scrappy with each other over, like, recruiting the best teachers they can. But at the same time, like, it is a lot cheaper to live in Garfield County than it is to live in King County. And that's true, and, and that might be part of what their formula is. But what's challenging is when a district like ours is asked to have the same pa- 
you know, they want the same package as Everett, who has way more money, and it's a whole different location, how, you know, that puts us in a really bad position, because that's not one, one, that's not something we can even afford to do. And again, like you said, it's a whole different cost of living here than it is in Everett or Seattle. So that's that could be part of that formula i'm not mm. saying that i have the the entire answer but <laughs> sure. to have it dealt with at the state level so then when we negotiate it's things that only you know impact the local situation here sure mm-hmm. uh before we started recording you were talking a little bit about the legislative platform of educational service district 112 mm-hmm. um which which I, and i never know how to describe esd 112 but they provide services to mm-hmm all the districts in Clark County, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so tell, tell us a little bit about that and what some of the uh, what some of the key points of that legislative agenda are and and how, how that's gonna make ESD 112 schools better suited to get what they're asking for in this legislative session. So there are 30 public schools in Southwest Washington that would fall under the purview of the ESD 112. And we believe that the state policy and funding for K-12 education needs to focus on equity and excellence so that all students in every district experience the same type of continuous growth in their learning, achieve their full potential. So that's kind of the overreaching, you know, view. In specific, we have some things that we've, we're advising the legislature to do. Um, we ask them to address the state's obligation to provide competitive compensation for all K-12 school district employees before any potential reduction of the levy lid. We want to ensure that the values within the basic education prototypical school funding model generates at least sufficient state funds to maintain current staffing levels, which now are subsidized by local levels. So they've got a model, a prototypical school model that was adopted by the legislature that in some cases doesn't meet what actually it takes to run a school. And it also doesn't comply all the time with the class size reduction Um, legislation that they've enacted. So that needs to be worked out. Um, They need to provide adequate funding for smaller class sizes as required by the laws that they've Mm -hmm. um, put in place, including the necessary resources for the teaching staff and the school facility construction. We want to protect the local authority of school boards to meet the unique educational needs of our district to set parameters around collective bargaining to help contain statewide basic education um, costs and protect local levy resources. And then to establish a mechanism for periodic review um, to ensure that this, because just like the last legislation, after a few years, it all just kind of goes away. And here we are again, all these years later, trying to get this back on track. Well, great. Well, unless there's anything, is there anything else that we didn't touch on or anything that you want to else you want to add or I think the only thing I would add is when you when you make you know kind of um you have ideas about what's going on in schools rather than just kind of believing what's kind of randomly out there in in the world um really ask questions of your local school board we love people to come to board meetings 
are we we're happy to be really transparent about what's going on in our districts we have a lot of opportunity for our patrons to see what's happening and i would say ask questions come and see us be part of what's going on in our schools and then you'll know the facts about what's really happening and and we have a lot of exciting things happening in our district Great. Well, thanks so much, Victoria. I think that was a really good explainer for people who maybe a lot of this is over, including me, where a lot of this is kind of <laughs> over their heads. So thanks so much for coming on and explaining. Great. Thank you for having us. Oh, look, it's bubbling. Oh, that's satisfying. All right. So for those of you that haven't figured out what we're doing, this is the final saga in your beer, right? Yeah, so the last couple episodes were from my kitchen, now we're in Davian's kitchen. Mm-hmm. And trying the beer that uh, that Justin and I, my partner and I made, with Damien's help. Uh-huh. Uh, it's been in a bottle for two weeks, and now it's in a glass. All right, should we try Ready? it? Ready? Okay, Let's do this. cheers. Cheers. It's very good. You have five I gallons know. of this to drink. By God, you made beer. That's not bad. No, it's that's totally not bad. good. I'm into it. Yeah, that's not the worst beer I've had. Scale of one to ten. I don't know, like a like a five and a half. I don't know. I guess like what is a one? Is that like Miller Lite? Um, yeah, a one one is undrinkable. Let's say one is undrinkable. A three is Miller Lite. Okay. And then... Like, if I'm at a barbecue and there's nothing else and I want to get drunk, like, it's there. And let's say a ten is, like, some of the damn fine Vancouver microbrews. Mm. Okay, well, I'll say, yeah, like a four or five. Okay. What would, what, what would I was you gonna, say? I was going to put it at a six. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, I thought for sure that this was going to suck, and it definitely doesn't suck, so... It's baller. Cool. Good deal. Yeah. All right, that was the show. Thanks for listening, you guys. Um, I hope you're staying dry and staying warm out there. And I really hope your car didn't slide off the road. It's yeah, pretty snowy out there right now. Yeah, there's a lot of snow on the ground right now. We have to be at work. So we do. all the more reason to subscribe to a local newspaper because mm-hmm. got to get paid to come to work in this, in that's, this noise. So. That's right. You can't expect to get the news without people like us coming out here to make it. Yep. So I don't know if you can hear that noise, but that's me patting myself on the back real hard right now. <laughs> so Yeah, we're real self-important. We are, definitely. Um, and you know, listeners, I want to see if I can ask you guys a couple favors. I hope that's not too much. I mean, we bring this to you for free every week. Maybe I can ask you a favor, and I'm not overstepping my bounds. But uh, two things. One... I would love it if you guys could tell at least one other person about our show and have them give have them give us a listen. I think they'll really enjoy it. At least I hope they will, because I hope you enjoy it. So I hope it's something you feel like you would want to share. So that would be cool. The second favor, the other thing that would be great is rate us on um, either SoundCloud or rate us in iTunes. Give us your feedback. This is a really special shout out and thank you right now to the people that have already done so. Uh, yeah, we had some nice reviews on iTunes totally. and it made my day. Totally. I mean, it's super flattering. It's really encouraging. And even if there's things that we should be doing better, we've gotten a couple of those emails early on and I cannot tell you how valuable they are. Yeah, they were very helpful. I want to bring you guys a show that you 
really want to listen to, that you look forward to listening to. And if you tell us what you like, we can help make that happen. So and you can do that. Uh, you can do what Damien said. You can leave us a note on SoundCloud or iTunes. You can also email us at our own email address, podcast at Columbian.com. Mm-hmm. So next week, what are we going to be talking about? Next week, we're going to be talking about the Vine. The Vine is up and running. The we're Vine also, yeah, finally. So we're also going to be sitting down with a uh, with a, a journalist who's based in Portland uh, who went to North Dakota to report on the Dakota Access Pipeline protests out there, and she is now teaching a class at Clark College about that. So mm-hmm. I had a story in the paper a couple of weeks ago about this, but we're going to bring her in and uh, have a conversation with her about what they're going over why that class is important so that'll be an interesting listen for sure yeah all right that concludes another episode another one on the books so subscribe to us on itunes soundcloud stitcher you can check us out on columbian.com every thursday so we are here we're in all places yeah stay dry stay safe